consent gives birth to love and life. We foster passion to grow geniuses which lift humanity. And tailor technology to preserve liberty in balance with nature. Welcome, Welcome to Radical. Ladies and gents, I'm your host, Shane Hazel. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, the the love, the outpouring, the absolute buzz and energy right now is infectious. I mean, just amazing. Uh, we are on a new path, a new passion, uh, and a new mission. And, uh, man, it is just, it, it's amazing. We've got so many things going on. Um, and, you know, obviously, time is time, and time is limited. So I got to hang out uh, with a great guy. Uh, a lot of you guys in the libertarian space know who he is. His name is Reed Coverdale. Uh, Reed invited me on the show uh, in, you know, to, to capture as much content as possible in time and bring you guys another show and continue to do this, uh, hopefully on a daily basis going forward. Uh, this was an opportunity for me to do a crossover show with Reed, and I'm going to bring him on. Uh, at a later date, but this was, you know, this is an easy way for me to get you guys more content, get another episode, uh, help you to understand because a lot of times we don't have great coverage of guys that are guys and gals that are running in the liberty space. So what we obviously have done in the libertarian circles is a lot of people have launched podcasts, very successful decentralized podcast and we communicate locally we communicate state level and we communicate nationally and even internationally and we sit down sometimes for hours this one uh runs about an hour and uh you know this is the type of format that i think people love because you get to really dive into subjects you get follow-on questions you get questions from the audience that's you know in there whether it's youtube facebook twitter because of simulcasting like technology is absolutely amazing and it's decentralized this place to where we can now bring you guys interviews because the mainstream isn't doing it so if i have a platform and i've done an interview and taken you know time and effort and reed has put out the time and effort and some of you guys are new here and want to know what this guy is about this guy asks great questions i mean just question after question after question i mean really um you know you do this enough and you get exhausted so uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation, this interview that Reed conducted. Uh, and I'll tell you, Reed's a he's a great interviewer, absolutely top notch. Uh, I will link all of his stuff in the show. Uh, I don't think I will do an outro to this show. Maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll plug everything at the end if you guys are still here. Um, I am going to plug Fountain. If you guys are listening and want to earn Sats now, you can listen on. You can listen on Fountain App, and Fountain App, as you listen, you get sats. I think you can get like $10 a day just for listening, and, and that, that's crazy. It also helps me, because I get sats when you guys listen. If you guys clip up the show, I get more sats. You guys get more sats. It's awesome. Um, so Fountain App, go out there, check it out. And this is the type of future that we're building, is this future that you know benefits the people that are putting out good, creative content. So uh, I will plug that, patreon.com slash radicalpod. You can go there. You can support Reed um, at all the links at the show notes below. And I hope you do so. I hope you follow him. He's got awesome content. He is an, an amazing, down-to-earth, good dude that's trying to change uh, the world. And um, he's doing a great job, too. So without further ado, my interview with Reed Coverdale. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. It's been uh, kind of an exciting couple weeks up here, uh, getting kicked out of political events for being a dissenter and um, causing havoc online as usual. It, it, it's been fun though. It's been, it's, been, it's been good. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, do go check out the latest Jeremy Kaufman ad. It's up on YouTube on his channel and it's also on Twitter on LPNH or Jeremy Kaufman's um, page. So, you know, in New Hampshire, libertarians are known to make it into the news. Unfortunately, we're not gonna make it into the debates because of arbitrary polling requirements. But I've got a libertarian on tonight who's been in both the news and the debates, and I'm just gonna play a quick clip before I bring him on for you guys. 
Brian, in 2020, on April 2nd, you locked down Georgia, threatening peaceful people with force and coercion. You called people in Georgia non-essential, and it killed millions of jobs. You bent the knee to big pharma and pushed a vaccine that was untested on people, and it has killed people. They have lost their loved ones. You've allowed bureaucracy to invade our businesses. And then you had the audacity to brag about record tax revenue. You want to say sorry to anybody? So is that a question or? That is a question. Do you want to say sorry to anybody? <laughs> that was amazing, man. <laughs> amazing moment right there. <laughs> oh, Reed, thanks for having me on, brother. It was uh, it was uh, festering for a couple of years. Like I've, I've said it, I think a couple of times, it's uh, maybe not the healthiest uh, type of relationship to have with your governor but you know two years it came around i was like man i can't wait to do this this is gonna be awesome. <laughs> so of course i have shane hazel he's a united states marine corps veteran he ran for i think senate as a republican and then again as a libertarian throwing it into a runoff race in 2020 and now he's causing more chaos running for governor shane thanks for coming back on the show how you been lately Man, I'm uh, tickled to death to be hanging with you, Reed. Like, seriously, uh, really appreciate it. I've been busier than, I mean, you get seasons in life. I hope this one's coming to a close. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm about to be in uh, the, the last election here that I'm going to do for a long time until the kids leave. But it's been great, man. It's, I mean, to kind of go out like this and this kind of debate style and have it seen and and really kind of make these bots from the Democrats and the Republicans malfunction a bit. It's, it's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So just for people who don't know about you, you were on my show about a year ago or maybe a little over a year ago now, but you ran as a Republican in 2018 and then lost the primary. So then you decided to run again for Senate in 2020 and you caused a runoff election and I think it was between Warnock and Loeffler or it, it was uh, that was actually Purdue. the other one. We, yeah. we had two Senate races going at the same time, which was kind of an odd thing in Georgia. It was um, Purdue and um, oh, the skinny dork that uh, is now the senator uh, <laughs> down here. Uh, golly, I cannot I can see his I can see his poindexter Warnock. face. Warnock. Uh, He's he's real skinny. I'll remember as soon as we stop talking okay. about him. But yeah, he um, we we sent it into a runoff. It was one of those things where we didn't spend any money at all, and you know they were pretty pissed that we got about one hundred fifteen thousand votes. It's all message, man. It's like Ron Paul said, you know, when an idea's time has come, there's no army on earth that can stop it. So it's uh, I think it's just about talking and getting people involved, and you know, kind of paying attention to like what the hell is going on in every day's life. And I mean, I think it's pretty easy for most of us. Yeah. So how does that happen in Georgia, the runoff? What what are the laws regarding how somebody wins? Why did that happen that way? And and what does that yeah. mean when it gets thrown into a runoff? What's the process to rectify the situation? Yeah. John Ossoff was the guy's name, by the way. Um, the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the so Georgia is a, a runoff state. It's um fifty percent plus one vote. So you got to have that majority to be the clear and you know um the, the clear winner in this. And so when we don't get that, which is oftentimes, especially when you have a third party down here, it does force a runoff. And they've changed it a little bit. It'll be a shorter runoff season this year. I think we only go a little over a month. But like in the past that that runoff has lasted from November through January, sometimes like January 10th, you know, and um, that's a long time and people get pissed. That's, that's a lot <laughs> of money. It's a lot of campaign ads. Um, and it, you know, people are, are sick of seeing this stuff by, you know, the, the second Tuesday after the first Monday in November uh, for voting season. They're like, man, I can't wait not to see any of these guys' faces and attack ads and all that other bullshit. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> down here, we I think we expect uh, that it's going to go that way. You know, maybe not, but we've also got a lot of Republicans this time around that are super pissed, that have been paying very close attention to what happened in 2020 and have these giant armies of people now that are going to be poll watchers that are not going to be, you know, relenting um, like they did in 2020. So there's a really good possibility this thing is definitely headed to a runoff, especially after the uh, the debate. 
Yeah. So what was cool about last time in 2020, um, you had all the super Republicans coming to Georgia and begging you to drop out and endorse the Republican. Right. And you even even got to have uh, Rand Paul on your show, which is an amazing episode. Everyone needs to go watch that and give his really uh, oh. <laughs> confusing take on why you should have dropped out or whatever. But that to me was the coolest thing that, you know, you didn't get a ton of votes, but just because you threw this thing into a runoff, it threw the whole country out of balance. The Senate was obviously really contentious because it was, you know, the balance of the Senate between the Democrats and the Republicans was hanging. Uh, so you brought all this attention to your race and you had tons of big wigs like pleading with you or screaming at you to drop out and endorse the Republican. That, that I mean, you know, people say libertarians have no power. It's not true. Like, I mean, I, it is mostly true that we can't win elections, mostly. But the idea that we don't have power is just that's ridiculous. I mean, because when you are holding the Senate, you know, hostage, basically, and yeah. drawing all these big wig Republicans who are demanding that you drop out. Your whole point is like, hey, if you guys were better, I wouldn't even be running in this thing. <laughs> like, I would just vote for you. Um, but what, what was that like, man? That must have been crazy, all that heat you were getting. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, I still get death threats from, you know, that race. I mean, and the, 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 that's, you know, one of the things is, you know, once in a while, you're probably going to get death threats. So um, not from the senators or anything like that um yet but when when you do something like this and you are not going to capitulate because you don't see the difference between republicans and democrats it's they've just got different flavors of uh you know tyranny uh it's it's a real easy thing to do where um you you, you bring them over and you have conversations with them and you tell them hey man you've got an audience especially if you've got you know a podcast like this to say hey so 115,000 votes out there or how many ever votes you, you know, you got, um, come try to win them over. Right. And so that is an invitation and it, and it shows, I think a lot of things, um, it, it shows that you are open-minded. It shows that you're, you, you will, uh, at least, you know, give them a platform to come out there and try to earn something, which, you know, I, I guess maybe that that idea that you need to earn shit in your life is kind of lost on senators and uh, congressmen and people in government. Uh, but, yeah, the the whole unraveling of that situation where, you know, uh, I got to talk to David Perdue for about an hour. Um, you know, we we scheduled a call after the um, after the first uh, general and then, you know, gave him a laundry list. I had a laundry list of items. Hey, come in here and do X, Y, and Z. This is what we have problems with. And it makes it pretty easy for the Republican to go, you know what? I can try to support this, right? And the thing is, right. is as a legislator, Jesus Christ, it's like you're one guy. You're going to support a bill that does something. Is like, I mean, this is pretty pretty easy stuff. It's not. It doesn't mean it's going to get signed into law and executed. Hardly ever does something like that happen. Um, but then they sent in, uh, yeah, Rand Paul. They sacrificed Rand Paul uh, to come in and be the guinea pig as to, you know, kind of questions and what I was going to say and everything else. And uh, Rand Paul obviously uh, really didn't do himself any favors. And it, it was painful. It was, I mean, you know, it's painful to watch. Yeah. You know, Rand's like one of the best guys in the Senate. And he he absolutely looked like part of the establishment you know, even more so than he had in the past. Like when he kind of got silly with the whole run in 2016, that was tough to watch. And then this was even tougher to watch with Rand. So, you know, it, I think it kind of clearly paints that picture between uh, Republicans and, you know, really, you know, really strong libertarians. And then you've also got like, I mean, Mike Lee, thank God he didn't come down here. He called me and, you know, funny conversation. He was like, Hey, you know, this is Mike Lee. Uh, I'm a Senator out in Utah. And I was like, Mike, I know who the fuck you are. <laughs> like, yeah. Had the whole conversation with them, and uh, I was like, "Hey, you know, I don't, I don't want to give you the the Rand treatment, and you know, best just stay away from this one." You know, David Perdue is a terrible Republican, and he's he's really not a very good human being. So maybe just let it go, and then you guys run some better people. And Mike Lee at least listened, uh, but David Perdue then rejected. 
the invitation that he had formally said, yeah, I can do this. And when he did that and I announced it, especially, you know, because he sent it to me in a text, it's like, do you know how this stuff works these days? I can share this with everybody and they're going to see it. Um, and when we did that, man, I'll tell you what, the Republicans were pissed. Not so much just at me, but they were pissed at him. They were like, dude, just go on his show. Like, the guy's talking about liberty. He's talking about freedom. Right. He's talking about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And the like, he's giving you an out. He's giving you a channel to win this. And you're basically saying, mm, no, nah, we don't give a damn about these guys. We're going to be so repugnant and just stiffen in our ways. Well, I guess, you know, when you're controlled opposition, you don't care about giving, you know, that quote unquote power away to, you know, the other side that's just going to progress it more and more. So, yeah, it, it was it was a thing. You know, we, you know, we did a thing. <laughs> Hopefully we'll we'll be doing it again. <laughs> yeah. So the polling with the governor race is set up similarly that you could end up not letting either candidate get 50 percent plus one and throwing it into yeah. a runoff. Yeah, I think the polls that are a lot down here that are run by Republicans are showing that Kemp's got this wild lead, right? Like right now, they're showing that he's up at 10 points, like 53 to 43%. Oh, you know, wow. leave some wiggle room in between. Um, but I don't think that's what's going to shake out on on Election Day. I think, you know, if if we secure 2%, I think that'll be low. I think, you know, because we have some name recognition especially after this past week, it's going to be one of those situations where, you know, we could, we could wind up, you know, anywhere from five, if we hit the 10% mark, you know, that'll be crazy. But, you know, if we hit 5%, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. So um, didn't Kemp actually lift the mandates on Georgia faster than DeSantis did in Florida? Hasn't he like, I mean, you were right that he locked the state down for two weeks or whatever, but hasn't, as far as Republican governors go with mandates, he's he was one of the most reasonable. Is that not true or am I wrong about that? You know, I didn't get to travel a lot during that time, unfortunately. And so, you know, during during that time um, between here and Tennessee, I only live about 30 minutes from Tennessee. And I will tell you, you know, Georgia in the areas where I live, you know, the the mandates just didn't fly. It's just the way uh -huh. people are. They're like, you know what, man? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust my 10,000-year-old immune system, and you guys can shove that shot in your ass. And, you know, pretty normal uh, North Georgia uh, type of understanding. But I'll tell you, you know, the, the closer you got to the cities of Atlanta or Athens or uh, Savannah or any of these places that have, you know, large uh, Democrat population centers, Boy, man, the mask and the mandates and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if it was fear, if it was bureaucracy. I know that the bureaucracy that invaded businesses after the lockdowns, it was it was unrelenting. Uh, you know, I have a lot of buddies who run small businesses, run, um, you know, the, the you know places to go eat. There's one of my good friends um, who runs a Culver's. And Culver's is, you know, it's a pretty good fast food place, but those guys were hamstrung by the Department of Health and a whole bunch of other, you know, different bureaucratic organizations here in Georgia that absolutely crushed them. I mean, killed tons and tons of jobs, killed their revenue and their business for the year. A lot of places went out of business. Um, so while maybe he quote unquote lifted you know the the state of emergency i think it was around the end of april um there was still this i don't know it was it was it was bizarro land for a long time in georgia and i'll tell you so we we ended up you know if, if we were going to go do something which there was time to go do it since i wasn't traveling we went up to tennessee i think i went to tennessee six times during uh 2020 and during that time Man, the only place that was kind of like a little different was Chattanooga, where you had to like maybe put on a mask, but like between Knoxville and Nashville and Franklin and, you know, Gatlinburg and all these other places, nobody was doing any of that kind of stuff because their industry depends on tourism. And you, you kind of find these places that depend on tourism that are absolutely gorgeous. Man, they, 
it, it was so much better in Tennessee and you didn't hear anything about Tennessee. They just were doing their own thing there. And so I, I, I think I find it extremely hard to believe that while Brian, you know, kind of lifted the arbitrary, you know, um, shelter in place, locked down by any other measure, um, the, the residual bureaucracy that just uh, was left around here, it slowed everything in terms of recovery for a very long time. Yeah. So what, what would you say to people who say, well, you know, Shane, I agree with you that, um, you know, that he wasn't perfect and there were things he could have done better, but he's just so much better than Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is going to take our guns away. She'd still have us locked down. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to those people? So a couple points on this one. So I'm, you know, Stacy's a nice enough lady in person, right? Like, um, she's she's very endearing and everything else. And you know, I hadn't yeah, really like George seen George W. Bush, Bush, same idea. I've been right. him. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I guess it's you know where we have an an actual clear example of Brian, like in the moment, just going complete tyrant, right? Like that was his default. I'm going to be a tyrant, and this is how it's going to happen in a moment of emergency. Um, yeah, Stacy would have done the same thing. Absolutely. Maybe done it longer and maybe done it worse. The The interesting thing here is when you juxtapose these two, Brian's a Republican. Brian's got a complete Republican assembly down here in Georgia. So his legislator is, you know, bought and paid for and they're all in line. And so you really don't have any speed bumps if they really want to get something done. Now, mm-hmm. if you put Stacy in power, which is not my plan by any stretch of the imagination, um, you at least theoretically have the Republicans that are going to have to show up and play the part of opposition. So I don't know, you know, maybe, you know, we hear something out of the assembly because during the lockdowns, dude, we didn't hear anything out of the Republican assembly. They were just like, okay, Brian, it sounds good. You're a Republican. Everybody's going to get more raises and everything else. And, you know, you're going to keep busting people for cannabis crimes. This guy is awful and i mean and i mean that like in 2022 when like 80 percent of the republicans in georgia are all for cannabis legalization like they see it as a right they want the industry here they see it and this guy is still bragging on twitter about these drug busts they're literally guns and cash and cannabis or just cannabis and you're like good lord man like you know, the South has a reputation, I think, that's largely built by Hollywood. However, Brian plays the damn part of the governor of Georgia in Hollywood every time. Like that guy is, you know, this slack jawed idiot that just bumbles down the road, you know, and you're just like, God darn it, man, this is this is out of control. And so I don't know, you know. I think there's, I think it's, you could, you could argue, you know, what would be the worst case. Um, and I think the worst case <laughs> is, is really either one of them at this point. I, I don't <laughs> think that we're going to see any damn difference between the two of them, honestly. Yeah. I can relate to you there with the Senate race we got going up here in New Hampshire. Um, we got a super chat here. Uh, this is DJ Cogdale. He says, I agreed with a lot of what you said in the debate, but not what you said regarding China owning farms in Georgia. I'm not a China hawk, but I don't want them owning farmland around here. Kaufman for New Hampshire, by the way. So I don't, I don't know a lot about this, but it's the it's not Chinese people owning land, right? It's the CCP buying land from yeah. the U.S. government or from private people or what's going on. Yeah. So. Super clever question from Stacy, right? She sets up this really intricate question that you get a minute to respond to, very divisive. Um, and then I played it right back at her at the end. So when, when we're talking about this, and I, you know, when she said it, I was like, oh, how do I do this in a minute? So the difference between what Stacy's saying is CCP, which is still a maybe an international banking cabal, right? It's a, it's a banking cabal of some sort, right? The CCP has a yuan. It is a CBDC. They manipulated it as centrally controlled and meets all the same, almost all the same prerequisites that the Fed does. But, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you're going to sit there and talk about, you know, the CCP coming in and buying up all, you know, a lot of the farmland, you're also, you also have BlackRock and State Street 
that are the Fed coming in and buying up tons of Georgia farmland. So it's like, I don't know what, like at the end of the day, which banking cabal do you favor, Stacey? Do you favor the Fed or do you favor the CCP? To me, I don't know that I have any real understanding of the the difference because I don't know who these people are. I know they're rich. I know they're psychopathic. I know they're megalomaniacs and they are looking for control. And the question I kind of posed to her was, why are we accepting, you know, a a digital yuan or a digital dollar for land, basically, and then turn it around on her right after that and was just like, hey, um, are you going to accept CBDCs in a CCP style type of right. uh, central bank digital dollar? And she was like, yes, of course <laughs> I am. I think this is super complicated. And you're like, what's your point then? Brian is the CCP bank guy and you're the Fed bank girl. Like for me, to try to explain that in like one minute was like, oh God, how am I going to do this? And I trust me take the criticism i get it i did not do as good a job as i could have with that question but it was definitely it was a good question i give you know, all the credit to her and her team for you know popping that one and at the beginning of it she's like do you agree with mike pompeo man fuck yeah. that guy are you kidding <laughs> <laughs> like what yeah. would no of course not <laughs> yeah he just uh he just came and endorsed the Republican Senate uh, nominee in New Hampshire. Uh, Mike Pompeo did. Um, yeah. So <laughs> what what could you do as governor to help with that problem? Like what could you do on a statewide level to make it easier to use Bitcoin or gold or gold backs or some alternative form of mm -hmm. currency to kind of remove yourself from the system in a way? What 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 would you or what, what would you push Stacey Abrams or Kemp to, you know, think in what direction do you want to push them to think more openly about that type of stuff, at least? Yeah. So legalizing um, tender, right, is, you know, open up the market for competition. Uh, we've obviously got some real troubles with the uh, U.S. dollar right now, the Federal Reserve fiat currency of, you know, the entire world. Uh, and and they're their understanding of econ i mean what you want to talk about like remedial and, and i mean like remedial government indoctrination uh camp remedial um the the idea that you say as the executive listen we're not going to prosecute you for the the currency you want to trade in right it's, it's just freedom it's a it's a it's a default position with us in terms of libertarians you want to go trade in gold great go trade in gold you want to trade in bitcoin great do that are we going to go after people for mining Bitcoin? No, it's the free use of your resources and your time and your land. And if that's what you want to pursue, great, do that too. Which George is actually, I think, now the number one Bitcoin mining state uh, in the U.S., which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, it's about not so much, you know, saying we're going to do you know, this in this denomination. It's that we open up the market of competition for different currencies. And then we start to do education, right? And, and, and that's the beautiful thing about, you know, where we're at. It's like, we get to sit here as Bitcoiners and libertarians and sit there and say, hey, listen, this is what Keynesian economics is. This is what Austrian economics is. This is what Bitcoin is. This is what XRP and crypto and the digital dollar and all this other bullshit is. So it's peace, and consent versus force and coercion. And if you want to come this route, hey, we're going to teach you as much as we can so you have some conviction and understanding like what you're getting into versus over here, you still have a money that's manipulated. If I don't understand in this day and age, it's like if if somebody can manipulate your money, what what are we even talking about anymore? If you understand like your Bitcoin can never be manipulated, it's like, well, this seems like at least nobody is going to be able to to mess with it versus all the other properties of it. So I think, you know, as the executive, your job is just to nullify and open up the free market and get the bureaucracy out of the way. So that's I mean, <clears throat> for me, I think that's the way you have to go. And then obviously the market works itself out if you're going from. A point of um, of consent, you know, if if you if you're selling land through consent, uh, and you want to accept some fiat, um, okay, I guess if you are selling some land and you want to accept some Bitcoin, also 
that's your prerogative. That's that's what I meant by at the end of the day. I don't think it's the governor uh, who should be telling people how and what to do with their land um, when they're selling it. But I mean, when when money is hard, or the hardest money on earth, most people are going to tend to move to that, especially if they have assets. Like there's an old saying, like money doesn't wait. It moves very fast into hard assets like it's doing now. Um, and when we see this, you know, this, you know, mass Bitcoinization that's going to happen across the world because everything is failing in hyperspeed right now, I think we're going to see some pretty amazing stuff happen in the freer states for those kind of things. So with nullification of federal edicts comes the loss of funny money going to your state to, you know, help you with disaster relief or, you know, farming subsidies or anything. So how do you get the public on your side with that? Because, I mean, all those things, once it's like, hey, no more FEMA, guys, no more, you know, subsidies for your farms, no more anything if we start telling the federal government to get, you know, get fucked or whatever. So how do you how do you bring people over to your side on that and get them to think that that's ultimately a good idea? Yeah, I, I think you explained to them the other side of that terrible coin is this. Once you have a centralized CBDC, a central digital currency or a central bank digital dollar, now they can control everybody down to your local sheriff. So anybody with a badge and a uniform and a gun, when they say jump, they'll do it. So when I say, hey, listen, you know, the CBDC route down here in Georgia, if you're if you're not going if you're going to accept these, expect that the federal government is going to say, do more of, let's say, the drug war, do more of the no-knock raids, do more of qualified immunity, do more of, uh, you know, the civil asset forfeiture. When you start to see that, you know, those carrots that have been dangled in front of communities to begin with for whatever they need to do, whether it's, you know, urban housing and, you know, high density housing or things like that, or these other, you know, fairly intensive law enforcement programs, you sit there and you start to paint pictures for people like this is complete control. If these guys are going to take the CBDC and this is where their meals come from, and this is how they're feeding their family, the atrocities that have been shown throughout history in terms of, um, you know, people doing things for fiat currency is absolutely some of the most hideous, um, you know, humankind that we've ever seen in the darkest periods in, our, in all of our history. So that's what you explain to them. You explain, hey, man, the other side of this coin, if you start accepting this, get ready for complete and total control who you love, who you deal with, your family members, the people that you do business with. All of that is going to be controlled by a central authority. So you might as well get in the pod now and start eating the bucks if that's the way you want to go. Yeah. So I know, as I mentioned earlier, you're a veteran. And right now we've got 101st Airborne troops on the border of Ukraine ready to fight with Russian soldiers if necessary. So um, as governor... What would you do to protect your National Guard troops and the soldiers in your state from being sent uh, into Ukraine to fight Russians? Yeah, I kind of mentioned this very high level the other night is the Protect the Guard Act is one of those you know really awesome uh, pieces. Um, Diego Rivera, a good friend of mine, he's been one of the, the main proponents you know behind this. Uh, pushing it in states where they think they can get a piece of it. Um, and as the executive, I mean, you're the commander in chief, right? It's like, hey, listen, you know, been there, done that. And, you know, they, they sent us off for war. Then they started to send the combat replacements over. And when I saw those guys come into the theater who were, you know, weakened warriors and no offense to the, you know, the National Guard uh, for states and all that, pretty admirable that you'd want to protect your state. But to be used in foreign conflicts and have your executive, your governor, allow you to be moved overseas, especially on the premise that, you know, when when you get recruited to do National Guard stuff, those recruiters are telling, well, man, dude, you're just going to do, you know, two weekends uh, or a weekend a month and two weeks a year or whatever it is. And you're never going to have to leave Georgia or you're never going to have to leave your state. 
I mean, that's literally what they say. And it's an absolutely bald-faced lie. So to be the executive to be like, uh, yeah, no, you're not getting our troops. They're staying here. They're not going to go overseas and do any of that. You don't need legislation. You just need somebody with a pair of balls to sit there and say, listen, we've got bigger issues here. And, you know, as much as I know people aren't ready for the idea that I think that there's enough guns and enough equipment and all that kind of stuff for a populace to protect itself from outside invasion, um, you know, that's a step in the right direction. It is a, is a giant step in, in the idea that you do have some state sovereignty and you do have, you know, this this people that want to be protected. And so if you can take that step and then show people, Hey, listen, you guys are actually the militia. You guys with all of your equipment, with all the understanding of the military prowess that we have in the world, anybody that thinks you're coming to Georgia with the, the millions and millions and millions of guns in the hands of, you know, law abiding citizens, not just good people. Um, you, you start to paint a, a, a totally new narrative where maybe you can start scaling back defense too. Stop robbing people for pet projects and taking you know great engineers and great minds and put them in the defense sector and and put them towards something you know maybe a little more productive uh, for society. Gotcha. Uh, we got a follow up question here from DJ again, or it's not really a question, but he said West Virginia barred BlackRock from operating there, and I think he's kind of drawing a comparison with. Uh, China buying land in Georgia or whatever. So is there a role for the government in Georgia when there's a giant corporate oligarchy that is seizing property like BlackRock has or whatever? Um, is there a role for the government to come in and say, look, you can't do this. This is unfair to the people. Or is that something that you would just have a total hands off approach to? You got to be pretty smart about this, right? Um, because when you do stuff like this, this is when you get, you know, uh, convertible rides through Dallas. You're, you're fucking with some really powerful people when you say, hey, mm -hmm. BlackRock, hey, State Street, hey, you know, you terrorists out of D.C. Um, this is this is a different game. And so we've got the answer. That's the thing is. You know, I, I know, um, you know, there's a lot of people that haven't looked into Bitcoin. They don't know Bitcoin. Um, but here's the thing is, once you do and once you understand what it is, you got right hand of God warfare and tools at your disposal that you're not going to have to fight these guys. People are naturally going to move to hard assets. And so when you're looking at bond markets, you're looking at Forex markets, you're looking at, um, you know, the U.S. dollar and our bonds and everything else that are, you know, like I said, melting down right now. And we're seeing a decoupling between Bitcoin uh, and all of these different markets, these shitcoin casinos, basically, where people's money with the, the perverse communications incentive and structures, where that begins to melt down and people go, well, you know what, Bitcoin, while all these exchanges and monies have been falling absolutely like rocks bitcoin's been at like twenty thousand ish for months during this tribulation and that's something i think um probably doesn't get enough uh i guess highlight so when you start to point out to people like look the market's going to figure itself out when we when we allow competition and currency and we start to see that this is going to be one of those things that is very pervasive in industries like the gun industry, for an instance. And, you know, like if the gun industry is going to take Bitcoin because they're going to get shut down from doing business in CBDCs, then what you've got now is a market for people to start, you know, doing commerce outside of what's going to be allowed by centrally controlled banks and, and really, um, you know, this, when, when we get to do a CBDC, forget about Congress, forget about the president, forget about those things. You're going to have banks running things. You're going to have a bank running things. So uh -huh. for for us to do battle with, you know, State Street and BlackRock and the CCP and those kind of people, you have to have a nameless, faceless organization that has rules and no rulers and has the hardest money on earth in terms of stock to flow ratios, in terms of Carl Menger, um, you know, saleability over time, space, scales, and proof of work. Like all of these things that we understand as Austrians in hard money, 
we have to allow that to work because if you're going to, if you think you're going to be a libertarian and you're going to go to war with the banks, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you as fast as they possibly can. And I don't even think they're going to blink about it now. They might do it in like in public at some point where they're like that guy and that guy and that guy, we're going to send the message. We're not to be screwed with because that's what totalitarianism is. And um, for me, I think that the best way to do this is just be educational, be loving, be peaceful, show people that there's a better way than using force and coercion and trying to go to battle with some of the largest empires on the planet. Gotcha. So um, what about taking on federal agencies from a government level? So, or not just federal agencies, but like uh, departments <laughs> and um it, the uh you know like like uh for example desantis threatened to kick osha out of florida when they were going to add the uh vaccine to requirements in order to work at places with over 100 employees or whatever it was that type of stuff like what would you push back like in new hampshire here um we we uh we made it so that law enforcement is not required to assist federal agents in gun control anymore so regardless of what they pass in D.C., it doesn't really matter because here in New Hampshire, the local law enforcement isn't going to enforce it. So what 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 types of things like that would you want to do as governor that you'd have power over, like trying to uh, make it known that certain agencies and certain agents are not really welcome in your state? <laughs> I think I've already started that. Um, so. Um, one of the things I launched, uh, I think it was 2020, uh, was the Helios initiative down here. And we actually have proof of work and success in this. So it's one patient initiatives. It's actually based in the constitution. I know, um, I'm a big fan of Lysander Spooner and the anti-federalists that said this centralization is not going to work guys, but you can still use it as a tool to start helping like local sheriffs and mayors start to fight back. So the key is nullification through decentralization. You empower sheriffs and you empower mayors because they are the lead executives that are elected locally. And you get as many of them as possible to sit there and adopt executive orders for their people. So, for instance, if you don't like civil asset forfeiture, there is a one-page document on RadicalPod.com under the Helios tab. You can go to it and you can read it. And it basically lays out your rights per the Bill of Rights um, to include the Ninth Amendment because it's one of the best pieces of the bill of rights right like it's it's every right we didn't name and it's a catch-all because it's like well you know what they still retain all the rights we still didn't name so you do that and then you talk about article 5 is the only way to change the constitution which has never been done for the bill of rights and then article 6 anything that's not pursuant to the constitution is notwithstanding so it doesn't hold it's null and void and Everybody who wears a badge who's an executive actually is duty bound by Article 6, Section 3 of the Constitution to reject it, to, to make it void and, and null of force. So once you start to get to that point, now you've also got 18 U.S. Code 242, which is, a, uh, which is the deprivation of rights under color of law. It's actually a federal crime to deprive people of their rights under color of law. So now you've just given these guys you know, a cheat sheet to say, we don't have to do this here. And the constitution says we don't have to do this here. And it looks like you guys have usurped it. And God knows how many different ways with bureaucracy and all that kind of stuff. You sit there and say, listen, we're going to make your job safer. Cops, we're going to make your job safer. Sheriffs, we're going to, we are going to help you only go after the really hardened criminals. All this other nonsense, this, this, you know, criminalization of peaceful people in America, where we've got the largest, uh, prison population on earth, not only, you know, per capita, but like in actual numbers, we don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to spend your budget on housing people, feeding people, taking care of medicine for people that you've locked up for nonsensical fantasy crime, right? To borrow a line from Hannibal Burris. It's like, we don't have to do this shit anymore. And if you guys don't like being hated by your community, this is going to go a long way in repairing those type of relations. So it's it's one thing, you know, to sit there and say, well, I as a governor are going to do all this kind of stuff. No, you are one person. When you empower other people and you trust other people with freedom, 
that's where you really start to see this unified front where people are like, whatever community they're in, they're like, yeah, no, you know what? That actually sounds good. I think I trust my community a lot more than I trust that community. I definitely trust it a lot more than I tr- those scumbags under the gold dome in Atlanta or up there on the hill in D.C. in that swamp, right? right? It's like this is this is just, I think, kind of one-on-one leadership. It's if you have tasks that need to be done, you need to figure out who's going to do them. And then you need to figure out who the star players are and you need to highlight them and show and, and, and really commend, like, you know, hold these people up on a pedestal that are doing a great job at this kind of stuff. And I, I just, man, I tell you, you, you look at the current landscape and it's not just Georgia. I mean, it's, it's most States out there in terms of executive leadership, whether it's sheriffs, mayors or, or uh, governors and most of them, they just don't have it. They just they just want power, and it's they don't trust people, um, you know, to to figure out the everyday minutia to help each other, um, and that's just all a product of this really perverted and bastardized communications protocol that's been derived from fiat currency. And like I said, you know, once we fix that communication protocol um, with things like Bitcoin, you know, we we're going to change a lot of how this this whole system has been decayed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another super chat. This guy, I I almost asked the same question as he did while he was writing this up, but question for Shane, what could you do as governor to persuade Georgia's own Daniel defense away from working with the ATF's ever-changing policies? So obviously what you just laid out, but any other thoughts on that question? So I actually know uh, a lot of the guys down at Daniel defense. I went to high school with one of um, I think they're VPs now. And I've been trying to talk those guys out of working with those guys for a long time, right? It's, you got to get, you got to give them an out. Um, that golden bridge of retreat that, you know, uh, Sun Tzu talks about in the art of war. It's like, how do you, how do you help these guys back up from a mistake? How do you, how do you build that golden bridge and, and be that, uh, that merciful person to say, Hey, we, we can do this better, right? is you start showing them um, the the way back in to the good graces of the people. You start, you know, talking about it, maybe highlighting it a little bit. And um, if you can steer them in the right direction um, with education, great. But if they want to be those guys that work with the ATF at the end of the day where, you know, their engineers are giving them definitions before they do something or helping them to define things rather than, you know, what engineers have done in the gun industry for a long time is just out engineer the idiots in the government, right? And like that, that's been the thing is like, you know, you come up with a pistol brace, you come up with a short barrel rifle, you come up with a rifle that doesn't actually have rifling, you know, like whatever the case is, you know, engineers are very clever about changing definitions, changing like little minutia in parts of weapons. But for Daniel Defense to be, you know, working with ATF or any of that kind of stuff, it's, I guess you, you kind of maybe give them a, Hey guys, you know, we could do this a lot better, but the whole force and coercion thing as a, as a governor, I don't know, maybe, maybe you just start looking at the other organizations in the state. Like I said before that are, that are doing it right. You know, like um, if you've got, you know, other, which we do, we've got a ton of them here in Georgia uh, that produce, you know, small arms and, and those type of things, hold those guys up. Show, show the guys that are trading in Bitcoin. Show the guys that are absolutely rejecting the ATF, like Firearms Policy Center. Those guys mm-hmm. are absolutely amazing. Not not the NRA, not, you know, I, I guess Gun Owners yeah. of America have done some pretty good things. But like the Firearms uh, Policy Center, those guys kick ass. And they're not, they're like us, man. They're into hardcore messaging. They're into the fuck you and eat dicks and all that kind of stuff for those federal agencies. And man, those are the guys you hold up as the executive. Yep. So last question I got for you is if, um, you know, if you don't win this election, don't you think that Stacey Abrams has kind of given you a perfect blueprint for how you react? Cause I know, you know, election denial is fascism if you're a Republican, <laughs> but if you're a Democrat you can get away with it. So I just have Wikipedia pulled up here, but Stacey Abrams lost the election to Republican candidate Brian Kemp, but refused to concede, accusing Kemp of engaging in voter suppression as uh, Georgia Secretary of State. Since the election, Abrams has claimed that it was stolen and rigged without providing evidence. 
While news outlets and political science experts have found no evidence that voter suppression affected the results. So um, I think she just laid out exactly what you should do. Uh, you know, if you don't like the results <laughs> of this election, I would just not accept because maybe maybe it's just Republicans who can't do it. Maybe libertarians can get away with it, too. You know, if the Democrats can. I don't know. I don't think I accepted the the loss in 2020 or 2018. Like, I'm, oh, no. I'm not going to. I don't accept loss. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, no, for God's sakes, I'm not going to accept the loss. It, um, I guess to the point, like part of what we talked about in the uh, debate uh, was ballot access, right? She's got this whole fair fight, you know, coalition thing that goes on down here. I don't think there's any mention of it, uh, of ballot access in Georgia, right? So in Georgia, we are ranked 50 out of 50 states for ballot access. If it's not a statewide, statewide wow, nice. race, yeah, we can't run. So is is the whole election rigged? Of course it is rigged from the ground up. If you can't get guys that can run for dog catcher and then start making their way up through, you know, the ranks to show people that their local community, that libertarians aren't just crazy nuts um, mm -hmm. that want to let all dogs run loose and do all these kind of things, then, you know, um, it's, it's hard to come out and be that guy that, you know, everybody's like, well, I didn't even know this guy was running for governor. He seems like a pretty decent guy or all that kind of stuff. So, um, the the state of Georgia now we're we're not going to do that we're not going to accept we're going to tell people hey you should flat out deny this and you should probably come up with a better election system um, until you get to the point where you're just down with whatever you spend your money on being what you're for and if you don't what you're not for and things like that so um, like I said it's a continuum but yeah I, no the irate minority that I think um, is here in present, not only in Georgia, because, you know, I've said it a few times, there's 20% Republicans, there's 20% Democrats, and then there's 60% of the entire population that can vote. That's just like, screw this shit, right? It's like, yeah. the idea that we live in a democracy, no, no, we live in this really weird um, type of organization that's ruled by the minority of the minority. And they're idiots. They're like, and they've they've put this, you know, this big green curtain up and said, "I'm the Wizard of Oz," and because our party won, we have control over the other, you know, uh, eighty percent of the population, which is crazy. So, I think just talking about this narrative and uh, and getting more and more people uh, fomented and agitated to the point where they take action. Uh, is really kind of the objective in all of this. It's, it's you know, we never expected anything fair and to be able to point it out on a grand stage and activate that that irate minority, that's the goal. So how much of the election laws have changed, if any, since two years ago? Has there been a shakeup in things or are things still done pretty much exactly the same way? No, so I think um, Martin Cowan actually had, you know, a really good case that went before, um, I think it was a federal judge down here, and they won the case, and I think it got appealed, and then it got overturned, where um, they, the, the ruling was out where, because we can't run for even U.S. Congress down here in Georgia uh, as libertarians, um, you know, without getting, I think it's some you know, crazy amount, five, six percent of the total population. So it went and we hired a lawyer and our lawyer, you know, loses every time. Um, so we're not gaining ground. In fact, when we go to court down here for election law, most of the time, the libertarian lawyer goes in there and loses it, which doesn't, you know, bode well for us at all. So, um, yeah, I, I think, though, there is quite the understanding not only between the 60% that really aren't involved in Republican and Democratic circles, uh, but also the Republican base down here, especially the MAGA base, um, that's not going to sit around and let this kind of shit happen for a lot longer. Gotcha. Well, thanks for coming on again, Shane. I've got your Twitter and your website linked in the description. Where can people follow with you, uh, follow you, keep up with you, support you, you need donations, you need signs in people's front yards, you need, what, what is it? What is, what is it people can do what to do we help need? you the most right let, now? Let me, let me um, plug this. Uh, Jake Green is a filmmaker, and he just did this beautiful documentary. I mean, it is kick-ass. It's an hour and a half 
Um, I'm featured in it in this run for governor, and it's about ballot access. It's about the media, and it's about the Federal Reserve um, and how they divide and dominate. That's the name of it. It's called Divide and Dominate. It's by Jake Green. Go rent it. It's five bucks. If you want to buy it, support him. You know, this guy went out of his way, took action and his time and effort and money and spent a year and a half on this project. And it's awesome. It's narrated by Robbie Bernstein. Um, so it's got some it's got some good levity in it as well. Um, beautifully shot. That's what I would you know, if anybody's going to do anything, go support that. Go see what it is. Go share it with people. Share the debate with people. Um, for the next two weeks. And, you know, in terms of money, I think we've got pretty good ROI. If you want to donate, you can go to shanehazel.com and do that kind of stuff. But I would ask you first, go see those movies. And it really, it doesn't cost you anything to share social media. And that's honestly, that's, that's our biggest ROI as libertarians. If you can make stuff go viral, if you can cut up things and share it, man, people have like a, 30 second attention span do that kind of stuff but Reed, man it's good to see you it's uh i'm glad you're up there in new hampshire people have been you know asking me to come up there and live i don't know i think my blood's too thin but the um you know the cause that you guys have got going up there you guys are kicking ass i love your messaging um really absolutely killing it and i appreciate you giving me a platform to come in here and hang out man it's always good hanging out with you yeah, man, I'm glad you guys made it into debates. I even saw Chase Oliver. He did all right. I'm not really good friends with him or anything, <laughs> but he did okay. Um, like, and, and some other people in other parts of the country got yeah. into the debates too. And man, like, <laughs> once you get on the debate stage and you know what you're talking about and you have the right ideas, it's, I don't know, it's pretty amazing to see you side by side with other people. Um, but uh, we're going to be protesting on Thursday because Jeremy Kaufman has been excluded. So we'll be uh, raising hell over that. So if you're in New Hampshire, uh, send me a message or something and we'll, I'll, I'll let you know what's going on. But yeah, thanks for joining the show again, Hazel. Good, lo uh, good luck. Um, I hope you cause another runoff and lots of chaos and generate all sorts of news and make people remember why they have to care about libertarians again you know if you can do it every couple of years it's good enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah i appreciate it reed thanks so much buddy all right man take care ladies and gents i hope you enjoyed the interview thank you guys for being here today uh we are going to do a lot more content we got stuff that is brewing we got people coming out and doing some amazing things um that i can't wait to share with you it's going to be just it's going to be mind-blowing literally mind-blowing we are changing everything absolutely down to the way we communicate with each other the communications protocol so excited about this i'm so excited to bring you guys this idea this understanding the future of consent and liberty and peace just amazing uh gonna have some great guests into uh, into the show here and we're going to do some stuff live we're going to do some debrief we're going to do oh my gosh just so much so uh thanks to reed coverdale go out there support him if you want to support this show uh you can do so at patreon.com or you can send me uh some bitcoin at cash app uh shane hazel is the uh the tag there so uh, if you want to support us that way and hope you guys are having a great week i will catch you here next time hopefully tomorrow Tell them, I love you, I need you. Peace. Um, don't hurt people and don't take this stuff.